fighting for freedom every day. Broadcasting from the heartland of America. The next generation in conservative talk radio. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. What's up? Welcome into it. It is the pre-Friday celebration. A Thursday, greatest day of the entire week. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I just have to say, hold on. I have to relish in this for just a moment. This sounds so amazing. I have, for those on the inside here, kind of inside ballpark for the radio industry, I have been battling for months. I have been battling what we found out to be bad headphones. And I was concerned because I could only hear part of the sounds that were coming through my headphones, like all the music and the sound effects and everything. And I got some today, and they sound so good. And I put them in. I was able to adjust some of the levels, put up the bass a little bit, get that bass going, and have some fun. So, boy, oh, boy, it sounds like a whole new program today. Bear with me as I try to adjust and get things going. Welcome into the show. Great to have you today broadcasting out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas. On our flagship radio station, we are all over the country, multiple radio stations and TV, live streaming, pro, uh, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. It is so wonderful to have you with us today. Your Millennial General reporting for duty like we do every single day. We have one heck of a show lined up for you. Andre Barnes, he is with Numbers USA. He'll be joining us at the bottom of the hour as we talk about a worker shortage. Do we really have a worker shortage. And if we do have a worker shortage, then why? And where are they coming from? And what's the un- the real unemployment rate? I know when we talk about unemployment numbers, they're always kind of skewed a little bit. They're always kind of manipulated. And we'll talk about what that real unemployment rate looks like. And can we get people back to work, which we will talk about some economic issues here momentarily. Before we do that, though, I want to go down the personal road for just a moment. And for those of you that listen to the program for any extent of time, you know that I kind of enjoy my rock and roll. I enjoy a little bit heavier metal. uh, And I don't play a lot of it on the program here, but I do joke about it and mention it every once in a while. However, outside of the fun metal and rock genre, I enjoy when I enjoy other types of music. I really enjoy listening to everything except for like pop and contemporary rap and that sort of stuff. But the classic country, not the new country stuff, but the classic stuff, the, the 80s and the 90s and the 70s uh, rock and or the country music, I really enjoy. There is obviously a legend that I don't think anybody has probably not heard of, which is Johnny Cash. I, did you know this? Maybe I'm late to the game here because I've been so focused on my metal genre for a long time, but I may be late to the game here. Did you know that the grandson of Johnny Cash makes music? And did you know... Then he sounds the way that he sounds, if you've ever heard him. This blew my mind. This popped up on YouTube about four months ago, apparently, when they loaded it up. I just found it as of yesterday, and it blew my mind away. It's You ever have that moment when you get, like, the shivers that just, you know, like, it makes the hair go up on your arm? Just, you get the, you go crazy with it. Not like the tingle that goes up your leg when... Like Chris Matthews got excited about Barack Obama back in the day. Remember that? People laugh at me when my romance shows, uh, uh, having thrills up my leg and things like that, which I honestly actually had. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Oh, I got the tingle up my leg because of Barack Obama. Yeah, not that kind of tingle, but the hair goes up on your arm. You just get that feel good. It just makes you go wild when you hear some of this music. I, I never thought that I would get that with some of the new music today, but holy cow, listen to this guy. I hear the train a-coming, it's rolling round the bend And I ain't seen the sunshine, and I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom Prison, and time keeps dragging on Alright, I want to remind you, that is not Johnny Cash. But that train keeps a-rolling on down the sand. 
That, that is not Johnny Cash. That is the grandson of Johnny Cash, Thomas Gabriel. Always be a good boy. Don't ever play with guns. But I shot a man in Reno just to watch him. All right. All right. That's good enough. That's good enough. But that identical. Identical. I played some of the other songs and was listening to them earlier throughout the day today, too. Identical to the sound of Johnny Cash. And he's got kind of a grungier thing that he can pull off at times, too, which Johnny Cash did as well. Blows my mind how identical. It, again, it it made the hair go up on the back of your neck when you listen to this stuff. It's so pure. It's so good. And I enjoy that. Andy, I thought you were a metalhead. I am. But you know what? you got to appreciate the classics. And I think there needs to be a reviving of the classics. The legends coming back with the next generation that keeps this type of music alive. Why? Because I'm really tired of hearing about rap and hip-hop and all the other stuff. Although I will give credit to Tom McDonald and some of the great messages he has, and apparently this number one rap song that him and Ben Shapiro have, I played some of that on the national program over the weekend, where apparently they're still the number one on iTunes charts right now for this, this rap song, which is great. Good for you. That's awesome. It has a great message, better than some of the other messaging that we get from other rap songs out there. So that's great. I give you applause. Kudos to you for that. But just kind of weird. I, I'm not into that music. I don't enjoy it. I just, I can't, I can't do it. I like the metal. I like to do the mosh pits, which by the way, that genre as well, very uh, anti-establishment, very leave me the heck alone and fight the system, man. Ironically though, many of the singers are more on the left side of the aisle, which is weird as they're fighting the system. Like the, the singer for Rage Against the Machine, if you ever heard that band, the singer, you would think the name of that band, Rage Against the Machine. They were going after the Bush administration back in the day. That, that's when they were in their hiatus, uh, in their prime. The lead singer is now a writer for like the New York Times. You kind of joined the system, bro, but whatever. That's cool. Whatever you want to do, it doesn't really matter. Welcome into it. That's enough of that. But the, the country music, that's the crisp, pure, classic country music that just sounds oh so well. I'd enjoy that any day of the week. All right, we got a lot to talk about today. Let's get into our What's Trending story. What's trending today? And for just a moment, I want to ask you a question to ponder while you may be driving or thinking or listening to the podcast in delay or wherever you may be listening. I want to ponder the question, are you a business owner? And if you are a business owner, how much of the government or how much should the government be telling you how to run your business? <laughs> I know it's a rhetorical question because 99% of you will be like, yeah, the government should be telling me how to run my business. I'm going to do my own thing. I am a private business and I'm going to live my life the way that I want to, not the way the government wants me to do so, which is the appropriate response for most business owners out there. There is a new movement that says that if you close a business in a middle of uh, inner cities in minority-run demographic uh, communities in large cities, if you close the business, it's not because of business decisions that you're making, but it's because you're racist, which you knew was going to come because that's where they always go with this mindset. Walgreens is planning to close yet another pharmacy in the Massachusetts 7th, this time on Warren Street in Roxbury, a community that is 85% black and Latino. This closure is a part of a larger trend of abandoning low-income communities like the previous closures in Mattapan and Hyde Park, both in the Massachusetts 7th. When a Walgreens leaves a neighborhood, they disrupt the entire community and they take them and they take with them baby formula, diapers, asthma inhalers, life-saving medications, 
and of course, jobs. These closures are not arbitrary and they are not innocent. They are life-threatening acts of racial and economic discrimination. That is why I joined with Senator Markey and Warren to demand answers from Walgreens CEO. Why was there no community input, no adequate notice to customers, and no transition resources to prevent gaps in health care? Shame on you, Walgreens. Having a website with talking points about health equity and underserved communities is not enough. Walgreens is a multi-billion dollar corporation that needs to put their money where their mouth is and stop divesting from black and brown communities. Whoa. Okay, so that audio from Fox News. That was Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, one of the part of the squad with Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, one of our favorite individuals here on this program. I am told this is a garbage disposal. <laughs> yeah, she's that's still one of my favorite clips of all time. So Ayanna Presley was on the floor going after Walgreens for closing down another store in the Boston area. Now, apparently this is not a new trend because Walgreens has been closing down stores all over the country. And back in 2022, it closed down three other stores in the different Boston areas and inner cities, predominantly where there are black and Hispanic individuals in those communities. And the argument, of course, is the fact that if you close a business store down, then you're racist. That's the sediment here. That's what we're going after. So they're looking for the investigation to demand answers from the president and CEO of Walgreens on why they're closing down in those areas. Now, they have not given a statement as of this reason, but for a couple years back, they said there was a multitude of reasons for the closings, obviously, that included different, quote, dynamics of the local market and changes in the buying habits of our patients and our customers. I can only assume that a business would make a business decision based on business environments, based on business events that would include maybe the amount of profit that they're receiving, Maybe crime rates in the area, maybe losses because of the crime and theft that's going on in the area, maybe a shortage of workers in the area and they can't keep it staffed, maybe the number of locations that they have and therefore it's not economically viable to keep the brick and mortar stores in those areas, whatever, this, maybe high taxes in the community, I don't know, throwing those ideas out there. There's a plethora of reasons on why a business would want to shut doors because nowadays, unfortunately, In the business sector, if you are looking to start a business or create a business, you also have to become a real estate developer at the same time if you're going to do a brick and mortar, which is why so many are closing and just going online for whatever products they have. Obviously, Walgreens, that makes it a little bit difficult if you're going to pick up your pharmaceutical pills or something at the Walgreens in your local community. And of course, like she mentioned, diapers, baby formula, medicine, you know, whatever it may be that Walgreens has that they may need at that time. But let's just ponder the question, shall we, on why we're seeing closings of certain businesses like Walgreens in the Boston area. It seems to be one of those areas, If remind me and correct me if I'm wrong here, seems to be one of those areas where we have illegal immigrants that are being flooded into the area, and the mayors of Boston, New York, Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, all these other major metropolitan areas are redirecting funds to not take care of the people that are currently there, but are trying to transform things into taking care of the illegal immigrants. In fact, I'm pretty sure Boston's the area right now where they say that we need to spend more money for swimming lessons for the children of illegal migrants that have come into the area, and therefore the city needs to be funding these resources, need to reappropriate the YMCA and different uh, gyms and different places that have pools in order to give free swimming lessons to the migrants and the students or the children of the migrants in those communities. Now, while the city is working on that issue, 
We see businesses being closed because of maybe crime rates, maybe unemployment rates, whatever the situation may be in that specific area. And because of that, we're not directing the frustrations based on the high taxes, high regulations, or the crime in the community, or the lack of workers, or whatever it may be. But of course, it has to be nothing more than racism at its absolute best. So I ask you as a business owner, uh, what type of business decisions would make you want to actually close your doors because it's not viable for you to keep in that area? Or would you make a decision and be like, you know what, to hell with that community. I want nothing to do with them. I'm going to close and let them suffer because that's my intent and purpose as <laughs> an actual business. Have we gotten to that level in society? Because it seems like it. It seems like uh, Ayanna Presley, Congresswoman, along with Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, all these others that they've used now racism as the argument for the reason that a government that a business is actually closing. And to take it a step further, now we ask the role of government in a situation like this. Do you force a business to stay open in a place where it's not economically viable to stay open? Are we going to see the forcing of Target, for example, to stay in San Francisco where you're allowed to steal uh, just under a thousand dollars worth of goods and be able to walk out, not have any issues uh, to them. Are you allowed to or are you forcing a business to stay in business at that place when they're losing their you know what and all the products being stolen anyways? What role are we allowing government to be in this situation in the mindset of someone to think that we have to force them to stay in that as opposed to creating an environment to where they want to stay to create a place where it's economically incentivizing for them to stay and they make a profit and they can hire people and they can give opportunities what a wild concept but it said we have to force them because they're racist this is the voice of reason with andy hoosier Fighting for freedom every day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. John Wright, it is. Welcome back into it. 24 minutes past the hour. Radio, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch or listen to the show. So wonderful to have you with us here on a pre-Friday celebration. China Carpe Diem all over the place, baby. Because that's just what we do here on the show every day. All right, so we have the government thinking it needs to step in now correct me if i'm wrong but that's like a form of really big totalitarian dictatorship type of government right i mean you, you're you know just teasing just flirting a little bit on that line with socialism or communism or fascism where government gets to dictate the business decisions of an actual private entity like walgreens so I mean, if you want to go down that road, that's cool. They say it's absolutely necessary because if you choose to close a business and you close it in a community that may not have the resources, and look, I get it. Coming from the city of Wichita, I know this is not an issue with just Wichita, but really cities all over the nation, there's things called food deserts. Maybe you've heard of them, where there are no grocery stores in certain areas. And for me, that breaks my heart. I could honestly, with how healthy I try to eat because of you know, the health kicks and big pharma and how all the chemicals they put in things and all the different ingredients and blah, 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 blah. with how bad things are. I try to eat relatively healthy. Of course, I enjoy my burgers. I enjoy my tortas or my tacos, whatever it may be. But I try to eat relatively healthy and we try to go down the health kick on the natural and uh, organic and alternative path just because that's what I enjoy. I, I don't know what I would do if the only thing within like a five to ten mile radius around me 
is a gas station with eating like gas station hot dogs. Like, while I could enjoy those once in a while, to make that your actual nutritional diet every single day, like, no wonder we have a health emergency in this nation. No wonder people are ridiculously sick. Uh, so the next question is, all right, well, let's put a grocery store in there. Okay, but what grocery store will invest in when crime rates are extremely high? What business would invest in when it's too expensive to get the product over there? What business would invest in that? We have to create the opportunity. So, again, there's a difference between the big stick and the big carrot. And to be honest, this is one of the things that I was very critical of under the Trump administration when he was talking about businesses that were uh, exporting a lot of the work and then importing the products thereafter. And he was talking about taxing the uh, cars, for example, the trucks, the, the vehicles that were being built in Mexico and then shipped over the border. And he was wanting to put that tariff on those goods. I tried to come out and, and was very critical of that. And I said that instead of actually doing an import tariff tax, that we need to incentivize by pushing back against the unions to make it more economically viable for the business to just stay in the United States in the first place and actually have the manufacturing here and actually create American jobs and actually create a product here in the great U.S. of A. Why didn't we do that? Instead of just saying, well, we're just going to create a tariff and just, you know, just punish them. There's a difference between punishing and incentivizing. And right now, AOC and Ayanna Presley and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and all these others, they are pushing that envelope so much on that big government totalitarian dictatorial mindset right now that they're like, literally, you cannot close down a store or else we will punish you and figure out what the hell is going on. And we don't care if you're making a loss. You have to keep it open for people's opportunity. And I get they need the opportunity, but let's figure out why business is wanting to leave. And I can run off a few guesses here. Especially in California, especially in Chicago, especially in New York, especially in Boston. We have a few ideas on why they're leaving those areas, right? Speaking of the economy and maybe the workforce, for one, we're going to talk about the worker shortage coming up at the bottom of the hour. There's a news story from CNBC today that shows that January numbers of hiring was the lowest that we've seen since 2009 on the amount of jobs that were created for the month of January. That was just for a reminder, that was under the Barack Obama reign, right? So we have jobs that aren't being created in January. And in fact, not only were they not created, we had a massive number of layoffs for the month of January as well. In fact, 82,307 for the month. That's a 136% increase from the month of December. Can you still say the economy is doing good? Can you still say you're creating 13 million jobs, Joe Biden and the Biden administration? How can you say that when we're now laying people off? That artificial uh, inflation, that growth, quote unquote, air quotes of the radio listeners here for the month of December during the holidays, it's starting to bust, this isn't it? Is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, this is The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Yes, indeed it is. Welcome back into it. Moving through a pre-Friday celebration, greatest day of the entire week. Trying to cram that 10 pounds of reason into that five-pound bag. Trying to rebrand the millennial generation one radio listener at a time. We have not checked in with him yet. we got to check in. Joe Biden, man, he's struggling on the campaign trail, losing voters left and right. we got to see how he's doing. You doing all right, buddy? Feeling all right? I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. Making sure, making sure. We're, we're going to do that until he's out of office because we have to make sure we care deeply about the, well, they say 
the mental state. Did you hear Al Sharpton and some of these others are now coming out saying that Donald Trump is the one that has the mental health issues on the campaign trail. So I told how many times have we said on this program, narcissism, man, look yourself in the mirror and whatever they try to accuse Republicans of, usually what's happening on the Democrat side. Very strange, man. But now it's Donald Trump with the mental health issues, not Joe Biden because of all the wonderful gaffes that he's had, right? Let's get into our What's Trending, shall we? What's Trending Today? So I love this story that we just read before the bottom of the hour break. According to CBS News, January's hirings were some of the lowest that we've seen in a very long time. In fact, since 2009, under the, what? Oh, yeah, that's right, Barack Obama administration. And not only were the hirings low, but layoffs were also massive for the month of January, up 136% from what we've seen in the month of December. Meaning that it seems like that whole fourth quarter growth, everything's doing hunky-dory, from the perception of this article, shows that maybe that was just artificially hyped up to show that we wrapped up the end of the year strong in the economy, when in fact we laid off more than 82,307 people in the month of January, up 136% from the previous month, uh, with the largest group being laid off being in the financial sector at 23,000. 238, the worst month for that category since September of 2018. Interesting numbers. And while we see the argument for a worker shortage, let's tie that in with what's going on at the border with immigration. We hear about needing to bring in more immigrants because of the worker shortage in the nation. We have a military struggle right now where the military apparently can't get people to recruit. So they're talking about bringing in the illegal aliens into the military as well. And then if they work and serve an X amount of time, then they could work their way towards citizenship, which is another interesting concept as well. To talk about all this and more, where are we at with the worker shortage? What's the real unemployment numbers across the nation? And how do we solve this and actually you know, get people back to work after something called the COVID-19 pandemic? Happy to have on here. We love getting them on from Numbers at USA. He's the HBCU Engagement Director, Andre Barnes, on the line with us here. Andre, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well. Good. It's good to chat with you. Happy New Year to you. What is the real unemployment number in the nation right now? Because they say it's like 3%, 3.5%. We've created 13 million jobs in the nation since the COVID pandemic under Joe Biden. Are these numbers real? No. Um, they're mis- they're misrepresented. And, and the problem that we have is they're not looking at the real uh, representation of what our our economy looks like because what we're, we're finding is uh, we have a lot of people that are leaving the workforce those people aren't being counted that are, are they're leaving the workforce who um, were looking for jobs but have given up so um, the the numbers that they show are only showing part of the story mm. we always hear about uh, you know obviously the unemployment numbers are always skewed and there's always they're always manipulated in some way like that and they've never included the numbers of people that their benefits have run out, they can't find a job, but yet they've just kind of given up looking, so they've just kind of blipped off the radar. So, Andre, with that being included, what is the estimated actual unemployment rate in the nation? You know, that, that that's hard to say, but I can tell you the things that are contributing to that number. And um, what we're finding, if you look at immigration after 1970. It drove between 130,000 to 200,000 native Californians out of the workforce. Mm. So we're driving people out of the work- workforce. We're bringing people in. How are we helping Americans in the in the job market 
if we're constantly bringing people in that will do the job for um, for cheap. Yeah. The argument always is, is that we're bringing in people that, that are do the job that Americans don't want to do, whether it's some of the entry-level positions, whether it's a lot of the agricultural. I mean, I'm in Kansas, so, I mean, where my flagship radio station is, so we have a lot of the agricultural industry, you know, meatpacking plants, and a lot of the factory working jobs, and even now construction jobs are so vastly different from what they were, let's say, 30 years ago, that they say that these are jobs Americans don't want to do, so we have to bring in these migrants in order to do it. Is that true? Or if given the opportunity for us to get back into those uh, positions and actually take care of our family because that's what we have to do, would you think Americans would actually do them? Yes, absolutely, and Americans are already doing it. (laughs) And um, what you're talking about is a misrepresentation. Out of 472 civilian jobs, only six are majority immigrants. So your maids and housekeeper, majority native-born Americans are doing the job. Taxi drivers and chauffeurs, 58% um, native-borns are doing the job. Um, Your meat packers, 64%. Construction workers, 66%. Janitors, 73%. So Americans are doing the job. It's just the story is being told that Americans are lazy. And um, and and um, you have these big corporations that are lobbying in Congress to bring in more immigrants with this story that Americans aren't doing the job. It's just not true. It's a misrepresentation. It's a misrepresentation, and it just shows that companies prefer cheap labor. Wow, I was not aware of those numbers. Just so people can hear that again clearly one more time, repeat those numbers of all those different industries on the percentage of Americans actually working in these industries. Because you don't hear that at all from the mainstream media. You hear that like 90% of migrants are there and, you know, the, the maid that's coming in to clean your house or clean your business doesn't speak English and they're just probably here illegally. That's the only narrative that we hear. That's right. And, Andy, this is why I, I really try to push people to come to Numbers USA. Look at our fact sheets. Go to our FAQ page and really arm yourself with primary resources. People aren't using primary resources anymore, Andy. They're using Twitter. They're using Facebook. They're using CNN's numbers. But those numbers are not primary sources. We need to get back to using primary sources. But um, the numbers that, that uh, we were just discussing, of 472 civilian jobs, only six are majority immigrant. So if we're looking at your maids and housekeeper, it's still 51% Americans doing the job. Taxi drivers, 58% Americans. Butchers and meat processors, 63% Americans. Grounds and maintenance workers, 64%. Construction laborers, 66%. Janitors, 73%. So this is a misrepresentation. The problem is companies do not want to pay Americans. Yeah. Well, how much? All right. So here's the next question is how much does unionization, uh, people trying to join unions, how much does that influence this decision? And is it driving these businesses to go look towards other options to try and hire people as opposed to trying to pay union wages? Well, what we've seen with the unions is the mass immigration breaks those unions up. And once those unions are, are broken up, what happens next? You have the um, immigrant companies that come in and form their own unions. So they then take, take over the market and underbid the American companies. And here's the thing. Um, paying Americans an American wage 
is not hurting these companies. Okay. Yeah. What what what's hurting Americans is that the companies are not sharing the profits fairly. They they believe that if they can utilize this cheap labor, that they can maximize profits. But if you look at the um, salaries, American salaries over time, it really hasn't changed that much over the last 100 years. If you look at the percentage of change of um, of of, um, of salaries, so what is that saying? Is that the companies are keeping the profits and the workers aren't really getting any? It's not being distributed. Money's not being distributed through the company. Yeah. So um, this is a preference: maximize profits. Yeah, well, maximize profits. Like you said, if you're not reinvesting into the business, which the workers are part of that as well, to make sure that the worker's happy, you don't have to rehire new individuals, you're not getting new equipment. If you're not reinvesting that money back into a business and just trying to capitalize on that profit, then you're not going to be a successful business for very long, and it's not going to go because you're not going to get the uh, uh, the output is what you're wanting at max capacity, which is what's available out there. We're talking with Andre Barnes. He's with Numbers USA, the HBCU Engagement Director. For Numbers USA, you can find them online at numbersusa.com. we got just about a minute left here, Andre, before we have to take a break. But I want to tease uh, this issue about the young generation, which is what I always like to focus on in the new up-and-comers. Are there still opportunities out there, Andre, for individuals to get their feet wet in the workforce, to learn the work ethic, to work while they're in high school or to work while they're in college and actually have those entry-level positions to understand an industry – and to be able to make a decent wage or maybe a little bit lesser wage, but at least to get into the workforce to start off with. Andy, there are being roadblocks set up for um, young people to be uh, to enter the, the workforce. And the problem is they're competing with older adult immigrants for the jobs that would usually be open to teenagers. But there are there's hope. Organizations out there that are um, creating opportunities for people between 16 and 24, one called Closing the, um, the, the Gap Year in Washington, D.C., that specifically works with people that are not in school or not working to reach out to them and help them get a future. This is what, what needs to happen. Companies need to decide that they want Americans to have a future. Amen to that. Let's take a break here real quick. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation on how we can work towards that, because you're right. When the opportunities are going away for the young generation, how do they get their foot in the door when they want to start a career, when they want to work their way up the corporate ladder, when they want to actually just learn a work ethic and actually go to work in for a nine to five and start from the ground up and work? Are those opportunities going away? Like you said, and if they are, then how do we start getting some of that back? We'll do that when we come back right around the corner. Check them out online, numbersusa.com. You can find us on the website at hoosierreason.com. we got one more segment right around the corner. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. for freedom every day the voice of reason with andy Hoosier. yes indeed it is welcome back into it last couple of minutes here on the program for a pre-friday celebration we're hanging out with andre barnes numbers usa you can find them online numbersusa.com talking about the real unemployment numbers talking about the real workforce shortage talking about the real numbers that we don't hear in the mainstream it blows my mind all these industries that oh the Americans are lazy. They don't want to work. They don't want to do this stuff. We need to bring more people in to do that, which is what part of this immigration bill is right now that's being pushed 
in Washington, D.C., is that we need to allow, what they say, 5,000 a day into the United States. 5,000 a day. Can you imagine how many that is? And, well, we got to do that because, well, they, they're in need. We need workers. We need all this stuff. I, I fail to see that we need 5,000 a day to come in across the border right now illegally and just allow that before we even begin some of the enforcement. That just blows my mind. That's uh, where we're at. Uh, Andre, we were talking about as we went into the break, the young generation and how difficult it is for them. Because we used to have, you know, the entry-level position that you could sweep the floors until you could actually get your hands on and work. At the, you had internships. When I got into radio, I started with an internship in broadcasting school yep. before I got my first radio job. That's how we start in industries, wherever it may be. But those seem to be going to the wayside either because there are migrants, like you said, doing it for lesser wages or the industry is just looking to squeeze as much as they possibly can out of everyone to maximize the profit and keep everything low. But with minimum wage going up and with government regulation going up when the cost of business, just operational business going up right now, that entry-level positions seem to be kind of hard to find nowadays. What's that doing to the next generation? Well, you're, you're seeing it in Chicago and New York. You're seeing smash and grabs. You're seeing idle hands. Um doesn't often result in, in great things. You're, you're not seeing a high employment rate amongst teenagers. You're, you're seeing the uh, degra- degradation of um, morals amongst teenagers. You're seeing them spend more time, more screen time instead of um, in, in, in the hiring line or in the, or in the grocery bag lines, like working and, and getting their, their hours and working experience. You know, when I started working, I started working on a farm. There was just nothing near me, um, no McDonald's. So I got a lot of the work principles from working on a farm. But I wasn't an expert worker day one. Like, I had to work with um, my boss, and he, he showed me the right way to work. And if I skipped something or if I got something wrong, I had to go back and fix it. Those are the, the, the things that if you don't get into an entry-level position, you don't learn. No. Like, some of these kids are coming from like broken homes so they don't have like a like father figures or disciplinary structures so that work experience is, is one of the the first times they're they're getting that kind of kind of structure and not having to compete with uh waves and waves of immigrants is, is slowing down that experience and and not allowing uh the students to get into the workforce at all yeah, it's unfortunate not to put the conspiratorial tinfoil hat on for a moment, but do you think it's done intentionally to be like, yeah, you know what, we don't need to have them work, and now we're seeing what we're seeing right now, but that lack of structure and that lack of opportunity to actually make a buck and get into the workforce, it seems like we're doing that intentionally in areas where it's already difficult to have those opportunities. Exactly, and and here's the thing. I think that it's more... Is, is less diabolical, just diabolical, but more about greed. Companies are greedy. And then you have other companies that are hurting after COVID or they're a small business. And, you know, they, they've decided, their business model, they've decided that they don't have time to train someone new. They need someone that can kind of hit the ground running. There are some, um, you know, restaurant businesses that are barely making ends meet. So they've made a conscious decision. Now, if they had more backing from the the government, like they were um, doing with some of the uh, small business loans that they were giving during COVID, we might see a spur or an increase in what they're able to do and the, the amount of um, opportunities that they're able to extend. But it's hard 
And then when you're um, the, have all this mass immigration, it decreases the wages. Yeah. It, um, it it really makes things a lot harder for um, business owners. So they decide they have to make a decision, and they're competing against other companies that are using cheap labor. Yeah. So if they go out and do the right thing, some of those um, companies that have gone out and done the the right thing become obsolete. Yeah. Well, there there it is, and it's. I would go as far as to say as well that the small businesses, for sure, when they make those conscious decisions, that they see the piling up of government regulation. If we would just open up the doors for them, deregulate, detax, stop trying to control yep. the businesses, then we would see a lot better opportunity for the business to grow, for employees to grow, and for them to hire on new and more individuals across the board. We're out of time, my friend. It is NumbersUSA.com. Andre Barnes. Andre, thanks so much for coming on the program, my friend. Happy New Year. Let's get you back on again soon. All right. Thanks for having me. Hey, appreciate it. Good stuff. Until then, we're back at it tomorrow for a Friday. This is The Voice Reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. Be your own catalyst and your own community. We'll see you on the radio.